We're clapping for Jesus today. Amen. Amen. <laughs> He's the reason that we sing. He's the reason that we serve. He's the reason that we are alive today. He's the reason for everything. And I'm so grateful for Jesus. And, and uh, we just want to lift him up in all of our moments together uh, as we look to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Hallelujah. Y'all doing all right today? Amen. Amen. You look beautiful. Amen. It's good to see the glory of God. You know, the, the Bible says that praise makes us calmly, makes us look a little better. Amen. So <laughs> we need to praise a little longer for me today. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But it's great to be in God's presence because it strips away all the worry and the care and all that stuff that we allow ourselves to fall into. Um, and that keeps us out of the place that we're able to really mount up on wings as eagles and really soar in the presence of the Lord. Uh, but what a, what a great time to be in his presence today. And I have the pleasure of introducing our, my friend, uh, Gary Wilkerson. He has a passionate desire to help people lead a better life and make a better world. He pursues this through creative writing, blogs, podcasts, YouTube videos, books, and leadership conferences that he has held in over 60 nations, touching tens of thousands of, of activists, pastors, politicians, social workers, missionaries, leading leaders, and change agents. He believes God designed us to live for something bigger than ourselves. Can someone say amen? amen. And that love should be our greatest ambition. Uh, he brings this message through a newsletter touching 250,000 people monthly, and social media encouraging thousands daily. He's the president of World Challenge, which brings poverty solutions within reach for some of the poorest communities in the world and helps people live out their highest calling and fulfill their God-designed destinies. Gary is an avid CrossFit workout enthusiast and health food aficionado. I gotta hear more about this. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, he is blessed with an amazing wife, Kelly, and four children who are all making a better world in their own way. Please welcome with me, Pastor Gary Wilkerson. Good morning. Is this one working here? Is this? I'm gonna use that one instead. There we go. How are you today? You look wonderful. I don't know what it is. Uh, spending the winter in Colorado, you see all these cold people huddled up and sort of miserable. And then you come here to California, everybody's like smiling and comfortable and chill and everybody's saying dude and awesome. And it's, it's so great to be here with you. What a joy to be back at Teen Challenge. Brother Ron, we love you, and we love the work you're doing here in Southern California. Let's put our hands together and thank God for what has been accomplished through these years here at Teen Challenge. I am so thrilled to be able to participate in such an event like this, knowing that uh, I get to come alongside and walk with and hold up the hands of and encourage a work that has touched tens of thousands of lives of people who would otherwise probably be dead right now and their families torn apart. Uh, if not for the grace of God. So I'm thankful for the many years of Teen Challenge here in Southern California. And I, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray for this work, pray for this ministry as it, uh, as it reaches out. It, it has a mark on it from the enemy as, as well as the mark of the Holy Spirit on it. The enemy doesn't want to see this work continue and thrive. It doesn't want to see, it, uh, see lives, communities, churches whole regions changed, and that's what the gospel can do through a ministry like this. So we, it needs your prayers. It needs you to intercede. Uh, I would, if you have a daily prayer list, how many of you have a list? I don't really have a list. I just kind of randomly go for it. But if you have a list, uh, put it on there. If, if don't, put it up here in, in your mind. Teen Challenge be one of the things that you pray for. And, and Pastor Ron, Brother Ron as well, if you'd put him and his family on your prayer list and pray for them. And if you have any room left over, Gary and Kelly Wilkerson, W-I-L-K-E-R-S-O-N. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah, it's been, a, been an interesting year. Just, uh, just a little, I'm just going to share a few personal things before I get into the word the Lord's given me for you today. Uh, so when I was with you here last February, I had just um, 
overcome, sort of just got my first day out of uh, being almost bedridden. I had a cancer operation in uh, January of last year, and uh, uh, it was uh, for a, thy a thyroid cancer. My thyroid was removed, and I, was, I wasn't even sure I could be here, but uh, thank the Lord he gave me the grace and the power to be here last year with you. And, uh, uh, but ever since then, things have really changed for me. Uh, it really, have you ever had uh, something difficult in your life wake you up a little bit? And sometimes medical things will do that. And so for me, it was, I realized uh, waking up every morning and having um, either leftover chocolate chip cookies that I had baked, the, the slice and bake cookies that I had made the night before, or the brownie mix that I had put together and made some brownies, that that doesn't make for a good breakfast. Um, <clears throat> combine that with about, um, on, on a daily basis, between 8 and 12 Dr. Peppers, uh, and ice cream every day, and uh, cinnamon rolls, uh, a, a breakfast made of uh, just uh, making people hungry here. <laughs> I, I just realized, uh, uh, you know, my, my health was atrocious. I was, I was wanting to honor God and serve him, but my body was just worn out. The thyroid cancer was just one small uh, symbol of a whole lifestyle out of order. And I was probably 30 pounds overweight and just, I would wake up in the morning to have my devotional life and I'd be exhausted already. And after lunch, I would need almost like a two-hour nap, even though I didn't take it, but I would feel mentally the fatigue and the brain fog and just really out of shape. So I started eating healthy, uh, changed, my, changed my eating habits. The Dr. Mark uh, Hyman, who wrote to, helped uh, Rick Warren write the Daniel Fast, also wrote a book called The 10-Day Detox. My wife and I went on a 10-Day Detox, and I felt so much better. I was more awake. I was more alive. I was more vibrant. I read the word, and it was sort of, a, there was a sharper focus on it, and my devotional life uh, seemed to be quickened, and uh, the alertness to be able to, when I'm with people, to be more present to them. All that stuff started getting re- vitalized in my life. So we took that 10-day detox and turned it into a whole lifestyle. And then I realized it'd be nice to exercise a little bit. I was getting ready to turn 60 and had a very sedate lifestyle. Uh, like most pastors do, we are, are very sedate. Uh, we don't move a whole lot. We're, we call ourselves as being in an army, uh, but <laughs> we're really not acting a whole lot like uh, soldiers. We're, 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 we are seated in heavenly places in our office. And, uh, and, and for a long amount of time. And, and seriously, the, the role that we have is, is much of it is study and prayer, uh, preparation for a sermon. Much of it is counseling. A lot of it is uh, if you have, how many of you have elders in your church? You have elders, so you know what a 12-hour meeting is like. Um, and so, so long, long meetings and staff meetings and stuff. And so, so we're, we're not moving a whole lot. So besides eating differently, once I started eating differently, it kind of woke up my, my internal life. I started feeling more energy. So I thought, I better do something with this. I can't sit still all day long. So I started uh, exercising a little bit. I, I, I went online and found this thing called uh, GMB. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a simple movement thing. You don't need any, need any weights or you don't need any uh, exercise program. Or you don't have to sign up to a gym. It's just GMB. And, and it was just, and the first thing they showed you to do, it was, I, I wish I didn't have the, I show you, they tell you, they have you sit down and just like an L shape, just sit up straight. And I was like, I did that. And I was like sitting up more like, not like an L, more like a, like a, a, a uh, a, a, a Y, I guess you could say, and I, you know, I couldn't even sit up at the 90 degree, is it 90 degree, is that what it is, a 90 degree, I couldn't even sit up straight without constricting my lungs, I was going, <gasps> this is hard to just sit up straight, and then they had you do this thing called the downward dog, and I was like, my, and my arms were shaking, and it was like, I was just like, I couldn't do the most, they, and they said, these are the simplest exercises, start with these, and I'm thinking, these are the simple ones, I'm in trouble. And so I started doing that, and then I got a little bit better at that. And then my son was going to this thing called CrossFit, and, and I went with him. And CrossFit is just basically a, a legalized murder. They just kill you. <laughs> it is, they just, it's, a, it's, it's extremely intense. They just kill you. And so, uh, but, I'm, but I'm glad I went because, it, again, it just, just the, you know, it just woke my body up. It woke my mind up. It woke, and that's the spiritual life is affected by how we are. And so just uh, no more. I haven't had a soda for like nine months. It's been, it's been, been really good. Yeah, it's worth saying thank the Lord for. He's and um, just eating habits changed, exercising, uh, 
almost daily. It's been it's been really good to be refreshing. That's not to boast in me. That's that's a guy who's saying for 60 years was miserable. So I've had one good year. So there's no there's no boast or if somebody's saying like you know that sounds arrogant. There's no arrogance in that at all. It's like oh, thank God I you know was able to catch on even though it's late as late as I I did. I, I would not be the poster child for health, whether it be uh, working out and or uh, eating healthily. And, and never gave it much value. I didn't see it as a kingdom value. Things like prayer and intercession and evangelism and healing the sick and raising the dead and preaching the word of God. These were, these, these were values of the kingdom, but not taking care of yourself. And it was Wesley who said it well. When God calls you in the ministry, he gives you a horse and a message. And if you wear the horse out, the message won't go anywhere. And, and he was speaking of the horses, of course, as your own body. And so I just want to encourage you. It has nothing to do with the topic I have for you this next few days, but just to encourage you to, it's never too late, and you're not too old, and you're not too sort of like, that's just not me, or I can't do that, or there's no such thing as I tried and can't do it, because we've all tried many, many times, but there is, there comes a time where where it'll catch on, it'll be good. I pray you don't wait till you get cancer, or I pray you don't ever get cancer, obviously, but I pray that it doesn't take some medical issue to get you to the place where you realize how important it is uh, to be a good steward over this physical body and the mind and the spirit that God put within that, the soul within that body, that, that we'd be good stewards there so that we could be all that God wants us to be. It, it, it will increase. If you want an increase in your ministry, how many of you have been, you've been praying for increases? You go to conferences for increases. You, you, you believe it by faith and you claim it by faith. Those are all wonderful things. But something as simple as taking care of ourselves could also bring a great increase that might surprise you that you never knew of before. So, amen. So that was, that's my little uh, physical uh, uh, encouragement. And uh, all speaking of encouragement, I am greatly encouraged to always have my wife with me. This is my wife, Kelly. We've uh, had our 40th anniversary this year. And this is the table for people with cast and or uh, uh, she's got legs and arms that people are falling on... Uh, puddles of ice and and other things, right? And uh, yeah, so let's pray for that table that they they, they, they get uh, some some healing healing going in that direction over there. But uh, just a few weeks ago, my wife fell and uh, broke her elbow, and uh, so she was in a bit of pain. But she's doing really good, and uh, she may share some things on her heart, maybe later today or tomorrow. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give her some time to talk to you as well. All right, let me pray for us and ask God to. Uh, let this word burn in our hearts and penetrate us and, and, and cause something unique to happen in us. Holy Spirit, just, just uh, shake us, move on us, wake us up. Um, speak to us about this issue that's hard to hear but yet crucial. Speak to us today, God, what it is to, to be in the army of God. Speak to us today what it is to fight against the powers of darkness. Speak to us today what it is... To, for you to call the, the, this people in this room to be ones who provide order in the midst of chaos, light in the midst of darkness, life in the midst of death. Lord, creating a, an expansion of your intention for the garden. Come, Lord Jesus, and, and create in us that, that spiritual fight, that awakening, that quickening, that we might be all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen? Amen. amen. God's intention for you and I is to bring order out of chaos. It's a, it's a, without a doubt, it's a chaotic world we live in. Teen Challenge knows that well because every single day, almost every single center in Southern California has some person, family, come through their doors with a story. And it's not a pleasant story. It's not a story of something that started last week. My son picked up a... a, 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 a a joint of marijuana, and now he's here at the doorstep of Teen Challenge. It's, it's, not a, it, it's a story of chaos that may be decades old, maybe, maybe generations old even, maybe father, grandfather. You hear stories here of, of a boy who comes in and says, my father was in this gang, and his father was in prison before that, and there's, there's, a, there's this history of chaos and disorder. Maybe it's, it's a, a young man who, who might be here on this campus while I'm speaking to you 
who could come up here and tell you, maybe you'll hear this, that, that even as a little baby, a little boy being abused by his father, his mother, a, a prostitute, heroin addict, abandoned him uh, to live with a grandmother who had five other kids living with them and, and just no, no affection and no care and no love. He was, he was born, bred, born, grew up in a, in, a, in a world of darkness and disorder and chaos and brokenness and, and pain and sorrow and suffering. But it's not just Teen Challenge, uh, the, the, those who come into Teen Challenge. You know, the re reality about chaos, about disorder, about brokenness, about pain and sorrow and suffering is that it, it, it's not just sinners who knock on the door of a program called Teen Challenge. It's, it's, it's us in this room as well. The, we, we don't know each other's stories very well. And, and, and sometimes we don't really need to tell our story because it, it's sort of a, yes, we're doing okay. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're doing all right. I'm surviving. I'm, you know, like, thank God it's, you know, things are going pretty good right now. So, but, but, but all of us have been through or, or are in or maybe going to experience rather soon a, a stressful, difficult, chaotic, broken, painful, sorrowful, suffering situation. Man, I know I'm starting this conference off a little bit on a bleak manner, and I, and, and I apologize to some degree for that, but I think it's important sometimes we honestly face these issues. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's good to say what a thing actually is. And, and so, so for a few minutes, we're going to spend some time saying what really is. The world is, a, is, to a large degree, is a broken place. And it's not just those sinners out there who got themselves in trouble that are suffering. It's good people who love God and, and pray and fast and seek his face and are honoring him and serving him and are walking in obedience. It's not just, you, know, you look at somebody's life who's broken and, 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 in, and in chaos and you, you, you want to point the finger like Job's friends did and say, you, you know, what did you do to bring this on yourself? Obviously, there must be some sin in your life because, uh, you know, there must be some, you've allowed some kind of satanic attachment on your life because of, obviously there must be some sin in your life and that's not always the case as Job was the most righteous man on the face of the earth, and yet there was a test in his life, a test that God allowed, that God opened up the door for and said, test, come on in, the enemy, come on in and do something in this man's life, and let's see the result of that, and something good is going to come about of something that looks rather bad. There's, there, there are people in this room, we don't know that your stories, but you're, you're suffering right now internally a real, you're going through a hardship. You're going through a hard time. It could be a family situation, some children that are running away from the Lord, or maybe even addicted themselves. You might have gotten a medical report this, this week, this month, this year that, that indicates things are, are, are not as well as they should be in your physical bodies. Your marriages might be doing okay, you know, you're, you're sustaining, and, you know, or, you're, or at least maybe some of the men in this room thought your marriages were going really good until your wife came up and said, I'm miserable. For the last five years, I've not had joy. It's just you're gone all the time. You, you, you don't pay attention to me. And, all, and we as men were shocked, like, I, I, but I was, I was, you know, I was reading my Bible every morning. I was like, yeah, but you weren't reading me. You weren't speaking to me. You weren't being with me. And so we get shocked that our marriages are not as healthy as we thought they were, and all of a sudden you're going through this dark night of the soul, like my marriage, my family, my health, my finances. What, what, you know, you get under that financial stress. Some psychologists say that when you're under financial stress, it affects every other area of your life. You can't sleep as well at night. You're, you're thinking about it maybe even when you're with your friends. Or you might have a great vision for your ministry, but you're, if you're under a personal attack financially, there's that suffering of, 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 of want, of lack, it seems, and of necessity. And that causes angst and causes uh, sometimes even grief on the inside. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 1, it, God says that he created all these animals, and one of the ones he created was a, a, a serpent. And when he created him, he was, I, I don't think he created him to be crafty, but somehow he became more crafty than all the other creatures on the face of the earth. So there was this, there was this snake. When, when, uh, when my son, my oldest son was about three or four years old, he asked me a question one time. He said, when God created Adam and Eve and put him in the garden, why did he put him on the same planet where Satan already was? It's, it was like at three years old, he was saying, you're, you're, you're setting them up for trouble. You're, you're, you're already, 
you're already putting them in a position where you know bad things are going to happen, so why, why not separate them? But not only did God put Adam and Eve in a garden on the same earth where Satan was, he put them in the exact garden. He didn't put, and the garden appears to be somewhat separate from the rest of the world. It was like, because after they left, there was some guards put there, so they couldn't get in through the gate. So there was, a, there, was, there was some kind of sense of the protection in the garden. And it wasn't Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the snake was outside the garden yelling and screaming at them, you know, shooting poison over a wall, hoping to hit them. It was like he was right there. He put them in the exact same place, and he put the most crafty, he put the serpent right with access to them in the garden. He didn't have to do that. He could have created an order where there was something different, but he was up to something. <clears throat> For those who would desire to deny difficulty, pain, sorrow, suffering, hardship, difficulty, satanic attacks, sicknesses, griefs, it's to deny the very creative order that God put in place. It's to deny the reality of be, uh, existence as it is. It, <clears throat> it, it's, it's to be... It's to be uh, having a Pollyanna-type mentality of everything's good and everything's fine, everything's rosy, and if, if things get bad, I just click my heels three times together and say there's no place like home, there's no place like home, and get back to Kansas. But it's not, it's not the world God created. He created a snake in the garden. <clears throat> now, the garden is, is history to us now, <clears throat> but can I say something to you that I believe is very profound? There's always a snake in our garden. There is. There was a snake in the garden, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and there's still a snake in the garden. We, we at, on our best days, live in a beautiful garden experience. Our children are doing well. Our marriage is happy. Our health is good. <clears throat> but I want to I warn you, there's always a snake in the garden. Churches will try to deny it. Pastors will preach that it's not there. They'll try to tell you if it is there, all you have to do is, is, is make a confession that the, the snake is, doesn't bite heels anymore. But God even prophesied in Genesis as well that the, the, the snake would bite your heel, speaking to the woman. And the woman then would crush through Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent. And he said in, the, in that story that, is, that, that, that has, has legs to it, it has a reality to it, it keeps going on and on through history. It wasn't a one-time event. The snake is always in the garden. The snake is always biting at the heel, and the, head, the heel is always crushing the head. And he says, I'll put enmity, I'll put conflict between you and the woman. <clears throat> Interesting thing, God, God didn't say, I'll allow it. I'll, I'll allow conflict. I'll allow turmoil. I'll, I'll allow chaos to fight between light and darkness. He said, I'm going to put it there. In, in, in Judges chapter 3, there's this amazing story of, of Joshua, and he's going uh, to take the, into the, the children finally into the promised land. And when he gets there, God says to him, I, I, I need you to know something. What, what is it, God? What do I need to know? Uh, I'm going to leave some enemies in the land. You're going to leave enemies in the land? What are you going to leave in the land? Five, matter of fact, five enemies, not just one. One would be enough, wouldn't it? I, one, maybe I could deal with one. But he's going to leave five enemies in the land. In other words, when you go to bed at night, you're going to be thinking Hittite, Levite, Shmuelite, whatever, I don't know, termites, I don't know. You're going, to, you're going to be thinking all the Edomites and Jebusites. You're going to be thinking these things are they're right there. There's a snake in your garden. You don't want it there. You, you want to go to sleep at night just thinking he's eliminated. He's defeated all my enemies. He's made me the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ. No weapon formed against me shall wait a minute, there's five enemies in my land. Something's going to be coming my way. Some, some, some slings and arrows are going to be pointed in my direction. Some spears are coming after me. There's a few swords in the, in the, in, in the, in the path ahead of me. And there's some snakes on the road. This, I know, I know what you're here thinking. Like, why did I come to this conference? This sounds so bleak. But we have to know this or we're not going to be prepared for what's ahead of us. We're not going to be, in, we're not going to fight. We're going to think there should be no fight. There's meant to be a fight. God created the garden to be this way. A friend of mine, he was our, one of our worship pastors. His, his son was walking down the stairs, and the stairs go one way, and then there's a landing, and then reverses back the other way. My friend Paul was walking down the bottom, and his son was running down one part of the stairs, came there, and there was a towel on the landing in the middle, and he, he got it caught around his leg, and he came tumbling down the stairs, 
And Paul, his dad, caught him at the bottom of the stairs. And Paul said to his son, probably four or five years old at the time, said, aren't you glad I was here to catch you at the bottom of the stairs? Aren't you glad God had me here just to catch you? And, and he said to his dad, why didn't God just move the towel? <laughs> and I ask that question all the time. You know, like, thanks for catching me at the bottom. I'm really glad, because he does. He's caught me at the bottom all, a lot of times. He's saved me. He's rescued me. He's delivered me. He's, he's, he's comforted me. He's, he's poured his affection out on me. He's given me his grace, his forgiveness. But, but I ask him sometimes, you know, why, why, you know, why didn't you move the towel? Why didn't you move this? Why didn't you get the snake out of the way? Why, why didn't you not send the arrow, the fiery dart? Um, I don't need a shield if you'd get rid of the fiery darts. No weapons are formed against me, but there's still some weapons. They're, 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 they're not going to prosper, but they're still there. There are still weapons out there. And, and, and I think we need to redefine what it means when the Bible says there's no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because for some of us, we've defined it the wrong way. It mean, means no weapon's going to ever hit us. No, they're going to hit you. They just won't prosper. In other words, the arrow might actually strike your shoulder, but you're going to pull it out and say, doesn't matter what just hit me, I'm still walking. There, there, there's, a, there's a sword that has struck me across my cheek, it, 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 and I am blooded, and I am broken, and I, this thing has, has, has tried to beat me, but it hasn't. It, it will not prosper because I am still marching on. I am still fighting the good fight. I am still walking a fight, out, out my life of faith, no matter how many arrows I get. I just picture this soldier, you know, and he's got his shield, and, and you don't need a shield of faith, right, if, if there's no, nothing attacking you. Just you need a napkin for eating lunch. But he didn't say, I'll give you a napkin to eat lunch. He said, I'll give you a shield. And I picture my the picture of my shield is that it that it covers me, but I'm I'm moving ahead. Like there's the enemy out there and I'm moving ahead. I've got the shield there. And arrows are coming and, and swords are swinging and maybe I'm getting hit and maybe I'm, there's there's an arrow in my leg and there's a there, there's a, a sword that, that struck my cheek, but and I'm bloodied and I'm and I feel a little bit beaten. I feel a little bit hurt and a little bit wounded but it's not prospering because I'm still forging ahead. I'm still in the good fight. I'm still believing, bloodied though I might be, wounded and broken though I might be, suffering and full of some pain and hardship and difficulties that I did not expect, did not want, did not desire, and was told wrongly in the churches sometimes that I've been in and that you're never going to face things like that. And then if we don't think we're going to face things like that, then we're not prepared for that. And when we put our shield up and all of a sudden some fiery darts start coming our way, we go like, Hey, I didn't expect this. I'm out. This is too hard. This is too difficult. I, I, I claimed everything to be peaceful, and this is not peaceful. I, I confess with my mouth that no weapon formed against me will prosper, but this thing seems to be, be prospering pretty strong, but it's, we're not looking at the end result of the things. And my encouragement for you today is you are in a fight. You are in a battle there is chaos and darkness and brokenness and pain and suffering all around us. There are snakes biting at our heel every day. And, and false expectations do us a disservice. To expect there to be no suffering, to expect there be no pain, to expect there be no hardship, to expect life to be a bed of roses, to expect to, uh, sinners get the, the sorrow and Christians get all the uh, all the, 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 the flowers. No, he ha he's given you the armor of God, not the bathing suit of God. Not the bathrobe of God. It's, it's, it, it's not, it, you're, you're not on a cruise ship, you're on a battleship. This is, this is not an all-you-can-eat, all-inclusive vacation package. This is, this is all you can do, having stand to remain standing, to remain standing. That's what he's saying is, are you going to stand? Are you going to stand? <clears throat> Come what may. Fire-breathing dragons, shield is up. Fiery darts, shield is up. Leviathan from the pit, shield is up. Enemies, five enemies left in the land. Why did he leave in the land? To train you how to war. It's exactly what he says. Judges chapter 3, he left five enemies in the land on purpose. They are meant to be there. They're, they're not just there because Satan tricked him. 
into leaving a towel at the top of the foot. He put them there. God put them there. God allowed them to be there. God put them there. Whatever your theology might be, it's the same, the same end result. Some people say God allowed it. Some people God said God ordained it. It doesn't really matter because they're there. That's all, that's all we need to know. Let's, let the theologians figure out how they got there or what intention they were. But they're there, and we have to learn to fight against them. All right? and, and you're in a fight. And, and, and God help you if you're going to a church that tells you there is no fight. And, and if they tell you everything's good and everything's fine. And, and, and they tell you, you know, and, and they tell you, and they disguise it in the truth. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Well, yeah, they work together for good. doesn't mean they're good right now. They're going to work together. They're, they're going to work together. Then, in other words, they're not together right yet. So right now, they're not really good. All right, so, 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 whew. so when my best friend two months ago found out that his daughter, an alcoholic, had liver failure and died at 33 years old, died in her apartment alone having been dead for three weeks with nobody even knowing it, and him hearing that, and him feeling like, what could I have done? Like, and just my, my little girl was there like that. She was there like that. Just She wasn't in the hospital. She didn't have a nurse taking care of her. She didn't have an IV in her arm. She was suffering the liver failure, the kidney failure, whatever it is, in, in, that, in that apartment by herself and just fading away, and I couldn't do anything about it. It's just like... And, 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 for, and for him to maybe go to a church and then the church and the pastor say, like, um, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to you. you just, this is your, you know, and, and, and God help us pastors who get up there every year. And please forgive me if I'm stepping on your toes here today. But, but please be very careful about your declarations of, like, this is the year of breakthrough or this is your year of increase or this is your year of painless um, prosperity, you know, because a lot of people aren't going to have that year. There's going to be a year of pain, a year of being broken in rather than being breaking through, rather of, of, of suffering, of endurance, of hardship, of ache, of pain, of loss, of suffering. I sat with my best friend, and it was a couple days after he found out his, his, his daughter had died, and and there was another young man there, a, a gentleman, not young, he's my age. <laughs> uh, he was there as well, and and my wife and I were there, and it was it was heartbreaking because, and and I wanted to I wanted to try to do something, but this other guy who was there trying to comfort my friend was saying, "Oh, I thank God, you know, my son was he he was having trouble too, and and um, he was addicted, and we just we just broke that in the name of Jesus. We just claimed that that would not be there, and and praise God, He set my son free, and he's he's doing well now. We just we refuse to accept that in Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, I'm, I want to put a sock in that guy's mouth right now, you know, or choke him till he's like, to you know, claim that in Jesus' name. So I can just. I was I was frustrated because it's like, I mean. You've read the story of Joe's comforter. It wasn't, it wasn't near that bad. Just you're, 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 you're telling somebody, it's like, if you'd have done it my way, your daughter wouldn't have died. But a lot of good people, a lot of good parents, a lot of good faithful pastors have lost children, not due to anything of their own fault, and yet they feel like, it. what did I do wrong? Did I sin? Did I, this, this suffering, this pain, this hardship, this sorrow that I'm going through comes, what did I do wrong, God? Why, how did I fail you? What, what should I have done better that causes this kind of, for you to, to bring this suffering my way? Did I, did I do something that's caused you to, to, to do this? There's that false expectation, and sometimes that false expectation breeds a contempt towards the Lord. I'm con- I have contempt in my heart, God, because the expectation that I heard was it all works out, and all things you know, that, that he does Ephesians 3, far above and beyond all that we think or expect or imagine. And, and, and if you have the wrong kind of interpretation of the gospel, you're going to think above and beyond what I can think or imagine. I can think of a $2 million mansion on Laguna Hills. I could think, I can, and, and you want to do far above and beyond what I think or imagine? I, I travel around the world. I, I, could, I could think of, a, what do they call those jets? You know, the G, whatever they're called. I, I, could, I can imagine those. I, I don't really want one. I wouldn't spend my money there with all the poor people there are in the world. But I can imagine having one. And he says he will do far above and beyond all that I think or imagine. Well, 
He doesn't say if you have a sinful, greedy, selfish imagination, he's going to do far above and beyond what you think or imagine there. It's, it, 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 as a matter of fact, what's far beyond that, if I start thinking greedy, so it's far beyond that is he helps me not think so greedy. Ooh, that's far beyond what I could ever imagine. Not being greedy? <laughs> see, you see, redefining. We need, to rede we need to redefine these words that we have because what we've done here in the American church is we've taken the American culture and the American dream and, and filtered it in like inoculation, we, we, like, like injecting heroin into the Bible. We injected this heroin of selfishness and of greed and, and of a life that's full of, full of uh, you know, happy and peppy and bursting with uh, always rainbow experiences. And, and the American dream is in here. So we read the scripture through the American dream. Uh, and, I have to, and we have to constantly redefine terms biblically rather than through the American lens. We, we, we hear Jesus say through the American lens, I come to give you life and more abundantly. And so for me, abundant life is I'm rich, I'm happy, I'm healthy. Uh, I look like Tom Cruise. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, I have all these things that, you know, be like that, that would be abundant life for me, that my kids are always just sort of like coming over to my house and bringing me food and, and there's never any problems and there's, they don't come to my doorstep and say my marriage is in trouble or... I'm having this addiction. There's like, that's not part of my, that's not my definition of abundant life. Does that make sense to you? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever had that curiosity on the inside saying, Jesus, you, you promised abundant life. Is this it? Cancer? Broken leg? Broken arm? Financial trouble? Marriage difficulty? Five enemies left in the land? A snake still in the garden? Chaos? Chaos everywhere I go instead of order? Is, is this the abundant life? See, we have falsely defined abundant life. If, if Jesus meant what we mean of abundant life, then maybe he didn't even have it because all his friends left him. Well, that's not abundant life. He, he, he got beaten and abused and thrown up upon a cross and was, was crucified for sins he did not commit. On the cross, was he saying, like, I've got a river of life flowing out of me? You know? or, or, or was he facing the reality? There's a snake in the garden and it has to be confronted. There's a fight that I'm in. And, and in the garden, you see, there's a, there was a snake in the garden. For him, it wasn't a literal snake. It was actually a cup. It was called the cup of wrath. And it was, so, so every garden has either a snake or a cup. Every... every person has five enemies there's there, there's there's we're being trained for this warfare and so in the garden of gethsemane jesus had this this snake this cup so to speak and 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 he didn't want to drink it he didn't want to he didn't want to get bit by this snake he didn't want his heel to get wounded by this thing but he knew that in order to step on it he would have to get in contact there and so he drinks the cup is that abundant life you see, I redefine abundant life, and now I say, when I'm drinking the cup, I drink and I say, not my will, but thine. I say, there's a joy. There's a joy deeper than the circumstantial experiential. There's a, there's a joy that when the doctor says, yeah, you have cancer, and all of a sudden you realize that, that, that frivolous quoting of Paul, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, you preached it, you prayed over it, you've claimed it, you've told people who are suffering it before, and now when the doctor says, you might be dying, you're going like, that's no gain, no, no gain. No, no, I, no, I don't want to gain that. I want to live. And, and so you realize it's like you're, you're holding on to things. But maybe abundant life is when the doctor gives you that diagnosis and you go like, Live or die, I'm yours. To, to die is gain. To live is Christ. And, and all of a sudden, there's an abundance. There's an abundance. When, when your teenage son, when you find out that he is addicted, you don't start shaking an angry fist at God and say, "How you let me down, God. When the baby is born deformed, you don't shake the angry fist at God and say, where were you, God? The abundant life possibly is through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, come what may, though you slay me, yet will I serve you. 
Why is there a towel at the top of the stairs? Why is there a snake in the garden? Why are there five enemies in the land? It's to teach us to war. It's to teach us the same thing, and we'll talk about this in the second session I have with you. It's to teach you the, the very character and nature of God. God is a warrior, mighty in battle. God, God is a God of fight, and he is taking his people and saying, I'm going to train you to be soldiers, to be able to stand in the midst of the worst hardship you'll ever experience, and to be a testimony of what it's like to be thrown maybe by the waves of the rock of ages up against the rock, but but not to be crushed by that rock. You might fall upon the rock, as the scripture says, but that rock won't crush you. And that's the difference we have between us and the world, things like that we're talking about, very difficult things to talk about, not real fun way to start a conference. But the difference we have is these things don't crush us. We fall upon these things, and we may get wounded and hurt and, and bloodied and broken, but we stand. Having done all, we stand. And that becomes a testimony in a world that at the garden, decided to give in to the snake and to allow the fall to become enacted upon. And ever since then, we've been living under this fallen world. But God has a remnant in the midst of that fallen world. He has a remnant and says, and this, what this remnant can do is stand. And it's not morbid and it's not sad. In the suffering and the pain and the sorrow, we're, 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 not, we're not despising life. We are walking around with abundant life. We are not overcome, we are overcomers. We are not victims, we are victors. But it means, it's the, to be a victor means there's a war going on. And my time with you today is meant to, to call us to battle, to, to put on that armor of God, not the bathrobe, to put on the fight, to, to, to put that shield up, knowing that we're going to get hit a couple times, but to press on, press on, Act like men. Act like women of God. And say, yes, I'm in a battle. Yes, I'm in a fight. But God is with me. God's going to do some great things. In the second session, I want to talk about how God deals with snakes. How God deals with chaos. Because the towel may be on the top of the stairs, but he's doing something. The enemy may, may be attacking, but he's, he's, he's at war. And, and, they're, they're, and this is not... This is not sort of, please don't hear me say I'm preaching a message that says, yeah, life is going to be hard, so deal with it. I'm preaching a message that nonetheless contains a victory in it, that you're not left to the wiles of, of the snake, and you're just going to get hit and beat, and there's nothing you can do about it. The second session, we're going to talk about faith and power and love and a sound mind and a conquering spirit and a warrior-like mentality, and, and how God wrestles order out of chaos, how God takes darkness and penetrates it with light. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments, but we're going to take a, we take a break first. Is, that, is this a break time? I want to pray for you first, though, before we take a step further, because some of you here, uh, you've come here, and no one hardly knows your story. You wish more people knew your story because sharing your suffering could help you, but sometimes you're a pastor, and maybe you don't have anybody to talk to. And, and sometimes you don't even want to tell your story because you know just starting it, just the first few words, if you were going to really honestly tell your story, you would do nothing but, you could do nothing but burst into tears. That's all you could do. And then you'd feel like a fool. So you don't want to tell anybody your story. And, and, and you want to put on kind of a, you know, kind of a strong um, exterior, but inside you're hurting today. And so I want, to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray. My wife and I have known pain and sorrow and suffering. We've known loss and heartache. But we also know what it's like to have abundant life and to know what it's like to walk with God through these storms and know, like the song said, though you slay me. And it's not like God's out there. Please don't hear me preaching a gospel that says, you know, uh, what God really likes to do is slay people. He likes to ruin people. No, there are some things, there's some towels, there's some snakes, there's some cups in the garden that aren't there for our demise or our ruin or our, our being slayed. They're there to teach us of something of a great value we couldn't get in any other way. And so he's, he's benefiting us. He's on your side. He's not against you. And don't let the devil lie to you that you've done something. Because I know most of you in this room, if you had done something wrong, you would have repented 
whether something bad happened or not, because you have a heart for Jesus. You just want to be clean and holy. So I know your hearts. You're here because you have that kind of heart. So I'm going to be able to say with confidence today, the, the pain, the snake in the garden isn't your fault. It's not because you have done some, some, some hideous sin or you have some pattern in your life that Satan's had free access to you. And so therefore, you know, God's, God's getting at you. It's not, it's not that at all. It's, 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 he, he trusts you. He's, he trusts that you can endure this. And uh, if he didn't do this, we would never learn endurance. And if we didn't learn endurance, we wouldn't know strength. And if we wouldn't know strength, we don't know ministry. And so I want to pray for you. Um, there's, there are times where there's nothing I could do except lay my head down on the, on the desk, on my chair, you know, on the, on the table in front of me. And, and if you need this kind of uh, fresh word from God today to say, it's okay, I'm with you. I just want you to lay your head down on the on the table in front. Just put your head down on the on the thing. If you're just saying, I I, I don't have, even have the words to say. I, I don't I don't know. I'm just, just going to lay my head here on this on this table in front of me. And I'm just going to say, God, God, I need you. God, I need you right now. It's almost too much to bear. The 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 the, the pain is just is too hard. I don't know how I'm going to go on. I don't know what to do with this, God. But I bring it to you. And I trust you. That you are the God of all comfort. And that you will bring me out. You'll bring me out. Maybe a little more battered. Maybe a little more bloodied. But nonetheless stronger. Nonetheless more confident. Nonetheless more bold. Nonetheless more like a lion from the tribe of Judah. Though you slay me, yet well, I trust you, God. And I trust you. I trust you through this bad experience, through this difficult experience. I trust you through the loss of a family member. I trust you through the... I, I thank you that my best friend is able to say, I, I still trust you, God. I, I'll, I'll not abandon you. Where could I go? That's what he said to me. Where could I go but to you, Lord? I thank you that you build that kind of trust. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're able to... We, Lord, we're not against praying in faith and believing you change things. Rescue our children. Save our marriage. Deliver us from financial difficulty. Heal our bodies. Thank you, God. We don't, we don't look at the enemy and just say, well, we're going to be defeated, and so therefore we give up and we call ourselves soldiers because we get wounded. No. A soldier goes into the battle knowing there's a victory ahead. So, so, Lord, we're going to put on that armor, hit as we might be. We're going to forge forward and believe there's great things ahead. So I pray right now for broken hearts to be mended, for wounded souls to be built up in their faith, for people who cry themselves to sleep at night in this room, that, and maybe no one else even knows that, that, that you would be the God of all comfort to them. Minister to that deep need. God, that crisis right now, the family member, the unsaved loved one, the, the, the addict in the family, the, the, the church situation that seems to be crumbling apart right now, the disappointment in life because our expectations were much higher than the reality we're facing, the, the marriage situation that maybe it's not falling apart or about ready to end in divorce, but it's just, it's, it's so status quo, it's so numb, it's so lifeless that it's, that it's causing loneliness in the hearts of men and women in this room here today. For those who have lost loved ones, for those who have been through a divorce, through those who, who have, have situations that, that, that didn't look like the way we want them to be, we pray grace, grace, grace. Pour out your grace. Pour out your grace right now. So that we can take a deep breath and say, there's, there's comfort in the midst of my pain. That, that the sorrow is not the end of the story. These are light, momentary afflictions producing in us a greater glory. And we thank you not for the, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying, Lord, uh, I'm so happy that the afflictions come, but I thank you that even though they don't seem light and momentary, they seem long and, and, and aggressive and continuous, but you, your word is, is uh, more true than our word. Your reality is more true than our reality. And you say, you call them light and momentary and and then out of that, you say they produce something. 
So I think everybody with their head bowed upon their table right now would be saying to themselves, Lord, let this produce something. I don't understand it. I didn't ask for it. But let it be productive, producing in me endurance and faith and boldness and fire and passion and zeal and and a stalwart spirit and an uncompromising, unbending heart towards the things of the Lord. And I thank you, God, that there's... There's a, there's a greatness in you that you and your DNA make your children have what is like you. We, we, you rub off on us, God, and we become warriors. And I thank you that you have given me a promise that we're not going to leave this, this conference defeated or overwhelmed by confusion and doubt and discouragement and angst of soul, but we're going to leave here whether the circumstances change or not. Sometimes, God, I, you know, when the storms rage, you calm, you say, peace be still, and the storm goes away. Other times, you give us endurance through the storm. But either way, you are with us in the boat, and we give thanks for that. And that's good news. And we, are, we are in the midst of it all. We say, through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And we count it all joy when we fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that these things work on our behalf for something good. You're producing something good, and everybody in this room, God, you have an agenda. You have a strategy. You have like a, uh, we may write our own vision statement, our own mission statement, but you have written one over our life. And, and it's much greater than we think, and it's forming something much deeper in us than we'd ever realize, and it's going to accomplish a greater good in us. But in that formation, God, there is, there's the chisel that hits the stone. There's the refiner's fire that takes the dross out so that the gold is more bright and brilliant. And it's painful, and it's, the furnace is hot. But to the best of our ability, we put up hands to heaven and say, we accept it, God. We don't accept anything from Satan and his lies and his deceptions. We're not going in, in, uh, to live in unnecessary suffering that is not of you. We can, we can fight that, and we can, we can resist that, and we can say no but there's some things we find ourselves in sometimes that we would have to admit you're allowing this for our good. And we say, even in the midst of that, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're good all the time. You're good all the time. You're always faithful. You're never failing. Your love endures forever. Your love is unending. Your grace is great. Your mercy is complete. Your, your presence is near. Your kindness and, and tenderness towards us is beyond our, uh, what we would deserve and yet you give to us. You give and you give and you give. Greater grace, greater measures of faith. The, the power and the ability to endure when suffering seems overwhelming. But we will not be overwhelmed, we thank you, Jesus. We will not be defeated by this. We will not give up in the midst of the battle. Thank you, you're training our hands for war. and We're becoming stronger. We're becoming more fierce. We're becoming uh, uh, more enabled to... to uh, Fight back against chaos and bring divine order to things that are out of order. Our families, our marriage, our finances, our ministry, our health, all these things. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who gives us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for...